most of the people choose as a way to do things is let's go back to the shit that we had before. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not, okay, so this is bad. How can we fix this? What's the solution for that? No, you lied to us. You told us that it will be all like, you know, honey and uh, dogs with bagels on their tail. I don't know if this this (laughs) translates as well from Romanian to other people. Francis Fukuyama's essay about the end of history and this idea that like nobody needs to worry their silly little heads about, you know, any of the underlying issues that are still there because basically now all you can be is a franchisee to to, to, to this liberal democratic model and uh, you just have to follow the sort of rules that the recipe has and then you're going to be okay. Before we begin, <laughs> did I tell you I managed to to finally get a podcast onto onto Apple Podcasts? I didn't know it was a struggle. You didn't even know it was a struggle I was going through? No. I don't know why. I kept uh, getting some issues and I couldn't register it, but now it's there. So you can tell your hubby, who is uh, like an iPhone snob, that we have breached the Apple sanctum and now our ramblings are available there as well. So maybe he can listen to more episodes (laughs) yeah no it's not gonna happen because i just managed to you know introduce him to spotify Mm. Uh, so no i i I will not try and introduce him to something else because i mean you know (laughs) it's uh it's clear that he has decided long ago that we're just too silly and unserious for him to uh, interrupt his very busy schedule of doom scrolling i i I have made peace with it so it's fine (laughs) It's fine. Okay, so to start us off, I have to say that this is one of those episodes that uh, has been set in motion by a book. I mean, to be frank, what happened was that I had a couple of planned episodes that fell through. I had to postpone them for objective reasons. So I texted you and it was like, help? (laughs) Can you... you help and uh, you obliged as you generally do because you had just finished reading uh, a book yeah and so yeah tell us a bit about it and why we should discuss it okay well mostly we are discussing it because we have nothing else to talk about but (laughs) this is what happens (laughs) Uh, the book is uh, called the light that failed and it has also a subtitle uh, why the west is losing the fight for democracy and it's written by ivan krastev and stefan holmes weirdly i saw the book existing also with another title the light that failed a reckoning which sounds yeah it sounds like somebody is that for the uh, (laughs) is that for the u.s market so it has to be I, more ominous i i don't know i don't know because <laughs> uh I, I i've read the book with the title that i told you you know with why mm-hmm. the west is losing the fight for democracy and when i looked it up on goodreads it was with a reckoning mm, yeah well <laughs> yeah interesting editorial choice i guess yeah yeah i i, I don't know it's, it sounds like they were trying to make it an action book or something yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the authors of the book, Ivan Krastev is Bulgarian and um, even though we are also Eastern European, I have no idea if I'm spelling, uh, not, not spelling, if I'm telling his uh, name correctly. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he is a political... All sci- our Bulgarian listeners, please correct us. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, he is a political scientist and um, he has many titles. He has written many books and contributed to a lot of uh, magazines and so on. And mm-hmm. um, Stephen Holmes is a professor of law and he researches the history of European liberalism and especially the problems with the economic liberalization, you know, after the fall of communism yeah. in, in Eastern Europe. So this is the book. Um, I would say the book started from a question, you know, why is it looking like the West, meaning USA and um, Western European countries? Mm -hmm. So why is it looking like the West is losing its political balance after it looked like it won after the end of the Cold War? And um, the authors uh, start their discussions somewhere around 1990, talking about all the hope that uh, it entailed. And then the authors ask what happened, you know, uh, to to turn that hope around. And um, the reason the book resonated with me is not necessarily the subject matter, even if it is an interesting one, but the fact that uh, the way um, it talk about Eastern European countries feels quite real. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it is maybe due to the fact that Ivan Krastev is Bulgarian. So the book doesn't have that feeling of someone looking at, you know, like some alien species that it tries to understand <laughs> that you usually get when, you know, Americans or, I don't know, um, I, I haven't actually read any book by a German or something, but Americans and British people, when they try to write about Eastern Europe, is like, oh, look here at the microscope. Can you see that? <laughs> <laughs> These weird little people who, for some reason, always like to squat and, I don't know, wear fake uh, Adidas uh, sportswear or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It does feel like that sometimes. I understand that uh, The Light That Failed, the title, mm-hmm. is the name of a novel by yeah. Kipling, in which the main theme, apparently, is unrequited love. So my question is, is that because we didn't love liberalism back, or <laughs> were the Eastern <laughs> Europeans the unloved ones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of love and failure of love. Uh, well, you are not uh, much off track with, with your assumptions. So actually, the author they give a, a reasoning for why they chose to basically hijack a title because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good title I mean yeah so uh, this is what they say um, in 19 uh, in 1890 uh, Rear Kipling finished his first novel that was called The Light That Failed and they say it's a sentimental story of romantic love artistic ambition and progressive loss of sight going blind actually yeah yeah, the yeah main going, character yeah, yeah going going blind So the novel was published, the original novel, the Royal Kipling one, was published in two different versions. The shorter one had a happy ending. And the mother... <laughs> that, that, that was for mom. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was for mom. Yeah, his, uh, his mother liked it. And the longer uh, one had an unhappy ending. That was for the gym bros that you wanted to impress. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so the authors say this. Well, we don't have the option of publishing this book um, with two different endings. But we believe that uh, the end of the age of imitation will spell either tragedy or hope, depending on how liberals manage to make sense of their post-Cold War experience. We can endlessly mourn the globally dominant liberal order that we have lost, or we can celebrate our return to a world of perpetually jostling political alternatives, realizing that a chastised liberalism having recovered from its unrealistic and self-defeating aspirations to global hegemony remains the political idea most at home in the 21st century. 
So this idea of the theory of imitation plays a major role in their argument, right? Yes. Uh, so how, how, how do they develop the idea mm-hmm. in the book more precisely? So the authors are not saying, I mean, in the introduction where they uh, start talking about this idea of imitation, they're not saying that their explanation is, you know, the end-all, be-all of all explanations, but um, they use it more, more of a frame from which to look at things that I think is quite useful especially, uh, honestly, for non-Eastern Europeans, uh, because um, a lot of people from what we call the West had been puzzled by some of the reactions coming from the former communist bloc, you know, Russia included. And what the book says is that some problems that were from the beginning, that, uh, of course, there were a lot of problems that existed mm-hmm. prior prior to 1989. And, uh, you didn't start off tabula rasa yeah, 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 after it, it, 1989, <laughs> so yeah. Sure. Yeah, so yeah, so so it wasn't like poof, <laughs> we just <laughs> appeared. So there, there were a lot of things there, and mm-hmm. um, everything that was already there. By the way, not all of the underlying problems were generated by the former regime. There were like of historical, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Problems it, it, and, yeah. It, it 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 it's almost like we have been living lives in those <laughs> places for a long, long time. <laughs> We've been here for a while. So the problems that were already there have been. Uh, um, you know, aggravated by some quite destabilizing events, you know, like 9-11 and the second Iraq war and the financial crisis and the refugee crisis and then the Russia wars mm-hmm. and the impotence of the West in doing, you know, um, good things in countries like Syria and Afghanistan and uh, everything culminating with Brexit and the elections of Donald Trump. But uh, what they say is that after all, all these events that did have a global um, reverberation, let's say mm-hmm. are not not necessarily the main issue <laughs> the the main thing that um, that led to to problems in eastern europe what they say is that some ideas that were regarded as ideals and were easily uh, you know giving people hope like let's say the idea of a world without borders mm-hmm. well all all these events that happened on top of everything else made uh, so that these ideals um, were not so well received anymore yeah it, you you mentioned the the idea of a world without borders that's particularly interesting because when it applied to population within the Eastern Bloc wanting to emigrate, it was, yes. uh, especially in the beginning, in the 90s, but even today, many people still fe- feel like if things don't pan out in my home country, well, I can just mm-hmm. try my Go. luck abroad. Yes. So it's, it's yeah. a hopeful, it's still a hopeful uh, element of the story, but also, uh, yes, by all means, Eastern Europeans as well as Western Europeans have freaked out about the immigration crises of uh, the recent years. And Western Europe has freaked out post-1990. I mean, before we had the luck of brown people and black people being immigrants, Mm -hmm. um, the immigrants were the Eastern European. And the West West was just as freaked out about us as they have been later on about um, people from Asia and Africa. And the Eastern Europeans have become the good immigrants only, <laughs> only in contrast with, you know, the black and brown people with different religion. And it's all, always a sliding scale because some people now have uh, this idea that, well, because there are also, as you said, people who are from other continents uh, coming 
in, uh, trying to you know get a better life, they think that oh well now obviously I'm the good immigrant, so nobody is going yeah. to touch me anymore. But no, it's a sliding scale because the moment the the scapegoat uh, changes, you're back in the yeah. in the limelight, yeah. not in a good way. Pretty much. So the book starts from the the very hopeful and uh, obviously naive statements and sentiments <laughs> <laughs> that were exposed in 1990, like the ones of, you know, Francis Fukuyama mm-hmm. and all, all, all the people who were like saying that um, liberalism would eventually become victorious throughout the world. But the the real point that Fukuyama and a lot of others were, were trying to, to make was actually that no ideologies which claim to be more advanced than liberalism can hereafter arise. Mm. So we have arrived at the peak of everything. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I may interject, because this yeah, brings yeah. back memories for me, uh, in the sense that I wrote my dissertation on how utopian thinking started really going out of fashion with the end of World War II, and it, as you said, culminated with uh, Francis Fukuyama's essay about the end of history, you know, being overly dramatic and this idea that like nobody needs to worry their silly little heads about you know any of the underlying issues that are still there because basically now all you can be is a franchisee right to yeah, to, yeah. To, to this liberal democratic model <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. you just have to follow the sort of rules that the recipe has and then you're you're going to be okay and you know even back then with the <laughs> knowledge of a 20 something i was like this seems a bit like intellectual laziness and uh but you know before people start rolling their eyes at the 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 sound of utopian thinking by that i don't mean the you know the 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 weird guy who just plays armchair god and imagines a society that is perfect in any way i think we can agree that no one mind as brilliant as it might be uh, could or should be allowed to 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 have these blueprints but rather the way to to think about utopian thinking and how it can contribute to our world is as a sort of social critique with some suggestions attached to it, so to speak. So this could be a sort of way to nudge ourselves out of this, I don't even know how to say, this suspended thinking, suspended thinking in the aspect of the end of the Cold War. Uh, And uh, as you said, certainly our public figures, because, you know, people, individuals or people in academia, talks have still been going on, but at the center of power with with all these public figures, uh, yes, there definitely is a sort of, or was, a sort of laziness and... uh... Yeah, it was sort of like the most mainstream feeling was Mm -hmm. this one of, oh yes, we have, now now we've solved it, this is it, people, (laughs) 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 we've done it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, And lo and behold, we're at that point again, as we've seen from our earlier episodes when we talked about all the 19th century drama, where liberalism, again, after an extended period of of complacency, is waking up to a set of illiberal or anti-capitalist movements sort of banging at the doors and contesting it. And everyone's like very shocked and very surprised. How did we get there? Yes, yes, yes. And and, (laughs) didn't these people get the memo? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, so uh, this idea that there was no other way heralded, according to the authors, uh, an, an era of, for some, exporting and for others, importing. Spreading democracy. Sprinkling democracy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so an era of a certain political and socio-economical model. And the Western dominated, you know, unipolar order uh, made liberalism seem unchallengeable in the realm of moral ideals. And after initially high hopes of exporting the West's political and economical model began to fade, however, revulsion of the politics of imitation gradually spread and the wave of anti-liberal sentiments appeared, as you said, banging at the door. This is a bit like, you know, all those screenshots of like Tinder conversations or just, you know, guys trying to pick up... Honestly... No, because I've never actually seen how Tinder looks. Okay, yeah. so anyway, <laughs> like all those screenshots of guys trying out pickup lines on girls and being turned down and then going, well, you're a bitch anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never wanted to fuck you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so what the book says is that when you present to someone, you know, anyone, the idea that there is no other way than your way, you are bound to get a bad reaction at some point. And yet the authors of the book say that this absence of alternatives, more than the gravitational pull of an you know, authoritarian past or the historically ingrained hostility to liberalism, uh, is what best explains the anti-West ethos dominating some of the post-communist societies today. And the point of the book is that anti-liberal reactions, both on the right and on the left, were about being given alternatives. And unfortunately, the voices that became the loudest were the ones on the far right. Yeah, because uh, I was just about to say that whenever you you hear this, we want an alternative, unfortunately, uh, it has been hijacked. And now you're associated with, oh, so you're just going to be an asshole towards minorities you're just going to be a kleptocratic yes. government so it's it's kind of painful really because it it is a valid point as we mentioned because you had a different setting in which to apply your economic model for instance and uh, instance and everything else and yeah now now it's just a situation in which before you even can have a conversation you have to demine yes yes area. yes <laughs> because it has been so thoroughly uh, tainted. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. And I think there is also a clear advantage on the part of any conservative movement because their political projects usually rely on memories of the past. So often fabricated, of course, uh, or like entirely <laughs> yeah. mythological and it's just make-believe. Yeah, this is so annoying, you know, that, oh, we'll, be, we'll talk about the past. What past? The one that we imagined that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, again, the advantage is that it's like a known unknown. It's like the devil you know. So yeah. whereas for any idea that is constructive, it's, of course, leaning towards the future. So it's the unknown, the untested, mm-hmm. the unfamiliar familiar and most people most of us have a, a quite high risk aversion so from the start it's it's much more difficult uh, plus the right has been very deft in using emotions in politics 
um, something that left-leaning people, even though they make fun of the sort of classical liberals, <laughs> that, <laughs> but like yeah. the, 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 the real, liberals, yeah, yeah, yeah the, not the conservatives posing as uh, classical liberals. So as much as they make fun of uh, liberals, they also still have this stilted, very rationalistic, logic bro attitude towards politics. And emotionality in politics is seen as manipulative, whereas just because the right is using negative negative emotions mostly does not mean that this is a given. But uh -huh. th th this is a topic unto itself yeah, uh, yeah. and I don't want to go into a long tangent. Yeah, no, but, uh, but the point of the book in itself actually is about emotions because the, mm -hmm. the, the reaction to, to, being, to only being given the option of imitating and never sort of measuring up, the reaction to that is an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. so, 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 so to try to logic people out of that, it won't work. But as as you say, you know, it's um, it, it would be more than one podcast. Uh, why this idea that uh, we could solve all our issues with being rational and with education is bullshit and will never work. Anyway, <laughs> I have another book for another episode. <laughs> okay. The, um, the current book, the one that we're actually talking about, <laughs> uh, uh, chose to focus more on Hungary and Poland because the anti-liberal sentiment is the most vocal there. But also... Uh, we're getting there, we're getting there. Yeah, but also, it talks also about Russia, China, and in the end, about the USA. Mm -hmm. So the problem, the book says, is when somebody offers you a model and tells you to strive for that, is that the form of, you know, comprehensive institutional imitation at issue involves, first, the acknowledgement moral superiority of the imitated over the imitators. And secondly, a political model that claims to have eliminated all viable alternatives. Thirdly, an expectation that the imitation will be unconditional rather than adapted to local traditions. And fourth, a presumption that um, representatives of the imitated and therefore implicitly superior countries could legitimately claim a right to monitor and evaluate the progress of imitating countries on an ongoing basis. So this is pretty much the main idea uh, of the book about how resentment came to grow. Uh, so there are a few things there. <laughs> Do they say that within the imitation model, it is a prerequisite for the political model to be considered as the only one uh, to have eliminated all viable al alternatives? Or are they just saying this is what happened? They, they don't say that somebody, you know, the, I don't know, any president of United States or, you know, any prime minister of Britain or something just went and said, look, guys, you're stupid. We're the only alternative. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. The, um, the way that... You know, the, the talks have been about it, uh, have been more, you know, seemed more complex. And uh, generally, they came with a lot of praise for, oh, you're doing so well, but it's still very patronizing. So what they say is that not necessarily that somebody set out to, to make the imitators feel like this, but that you will eventually end up feeling like this, or at least an important percent of the population could be persuaded to, <laughs> to be annoyed by, by, by this thing, which I can understand because I am quite, uh, you know, reaction kind of person. <laughs> and, uh, even if um, I, I am actually not one of the people that has a problem with um, with the West, I, I, I totally understand this idea that when somebody tells me do that, and just because I know what's best, my reaction before I even think about anything else is no. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. No. <laughs> Uh, do you think or do the author 
uh, authors think that there is like a way to to get the good stuff. Uh, obviously, the fact that you even begin the process of imitating anything is because you think that well, those guys have something to offer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Without this resentment setting in, uh, in the sense that can you retake control? Because what the humiliation stems from is this idea of a lack of control or agency over the process. You need to follow these steps uh, the way those other people have, otherwise your imitation will be imperfect, and then you end up with, you know, Orban of Kaczynski and just go, ah, I didn't want this anymore. <laughs> anyway, don't tell me what to do. Yeah, but also it's the, the annoyance to the fact that, you know, you, you have to imitate uh, the annoyance to the fact that you are somehow, even if nobody tells you, you realize that you are in the position of the inferior one. But also it's that thing that, um, this is one of the uh, things the authors say, that as an imitator, you look at the imitated and you look at what they tell you, like, you know, this is the ideal, this is what, what is the, the hope that we will get for you. But then you look in those countries also and you see that they're not perfect. The hypocrisy and everything the else. The hypocrisy, mm-hmm. yes. And, and the hypocrisy is very easy to be utilized and weaponized by the obvious uh, bad actors in each country, such as it happened with Orban. It's very easy to not do anything, but say, but they're not doing it also. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) And because you are in an imitating model, people don't ask, but why don't we do it? I mean, okay, so they're they're fucked up. They're not doing Mm -hmm. it. So let's let us do it. Let us beat them at their own game. Let's be even better at doing this democracy thing than they are. Yeah, or, you know, okay, so America is hypocritical about, you know, human rights. Then let's us be the model. Let us be the ones with the better, you know, Oh, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> exactly. So so it's a lot easier to be like, oh, they want to make us do these things that are so annoying and, you know, hard to do. And actually, you know, look at them. They also have issues and they, they only want us to do this because they know it's hard. And somehow it's a way for them to stop us being better, not a way for them to help us bettering ourselves. The hypocrisy argument is often uh, used as uh, an excuse for being lazy politically and intellectually and everything else. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, so, so maybe uh, you could, in theory, uh, have this imitation model work out, but it definitely didn't happen in the best way in Eastern Europe. So mm-hmm. probably it would feel different if there would have been political leaders in these countries, you know, that wouldn't have been lazy, <laughs> uh, that, that, would, <laughs> that, that would have proposed some ideas as if they were their own, actually being their own. Uh, but um, from, uh, from the get-go, we all strived to become NATO NATO members and EU members. So every time we, and I mean as a country, had to do something, somehow those were the goals that were already set. And every time our politicians fucked up, they could use this as an excuse about others made them do it, they had to do this because we had to to get to NATO, have to get to EU. So the the book does not discuss, you know, successful imitators. Uh, What it does in the end is talk about how even uh, the imitators ends up being subjective to bad outcomes that derive from being the proponents of these ideals, which I thought it was quite interesting. I know this is anecdotal, but I remember having discussions with my father about uh, these sort of things, like, you know, our ambition to, to be EU members and then NATO members and so on, and how I was trying to tell my dad that the real problem, <laughs> I think, is that that was the project. So as much 
as the Romanian political elite, even the intellectual elite, could think about it. It was, let's just join these clubs and then it's going to be smooth sailing or we're, we're going to figure it out afterwards, right? That's what they told us. And then since then, we basically had no discussion about what exactly we want to do now that we are an EU member. And uh, let me tell you, Romania is not exactly a small country. So we could have a pretty decent voice if we had any idea what we want to do with that voice. We could have had a voice if we had a voice. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I was trying to explain this to to my dad that you can be angry at, you know, how self-serving some of the, you know, the big boys in the EU club are, of course, the ones who already know that, well, these are the interests of our countries and we have a, we certainly have a voice and we want to make clear our priorities. But you should be more angry at your guys (laughs) because they're not saying anything really because they have no idea or they're just too busy doing whatever short-sighted thing that will fill their pockets. They're they're too busy with their own grift. On this topic, I would add that as much as we can blame the whole lack of political vision that Western politicians have demonstrated since even before the fall of the Iron Curtain, the whole uh, less is more (laughs) in terms of uh, governing and just give the individual all the freedom in the world and things will be fine. So as much uh, as you can point to that as a major pain point, I think it would be important to also emphasize or re-emphasize the the utter failure of local elites in Eastern European countries to deliver. Absolutely. What do we mean by this? Well, we talked about how this process of imitation was so limiting in the ability to adapt the model to different local conditions. But I think there was also a lack of willingness of our leaders to actually unpack a working model and analyze it, seeing what works and what doesn't, given you know the, your, your, your setting. And uh, what would be the most efficient way to go about implementing it? Like I said before, they thought democracy was a franchise. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So if, if, if it works with a McDonald's, why not with the whole yeah. political, social, economical system, of course. And and, and also these people uh, that found themselves at the top of Romanian society during the crucial moments in its history, whether we're, we're talking about post-1989 or even before that, they just didn't have the ability or disposition to do the legwork. But neither were they going to relinquish their positions, right? Oh, <laughs> come on, you cannot come, <laughs> come with this kind of crazy talk, you woman. <laughs> I, I, I think I might have reference this seen before but there is a documentary film called Capitalism Our Secret Recipe that came out somewhere around 2011 and it had interviews with some of the big names uh, in uh, Romanian politics and business since 1989 and most of the them were either members of or people with strong connections to the former communist apparatchiks. And, and at least half of those because it was mostly about the first 10 years after 1989 and about Mm-hmm. About half of the people there are now in prison, so... <laughs> 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 and, and, and and one of them, uh, when asked about how people like him ended up uh, on top during the transition to a free market economy, just does it out. He says, we were already in a top position in the old system. We saw what was coming. We knew more about the free market than anyone else in the general public. So we kept our positions or even grew our power because we were like, everyone is going to be dazed and confused, at least for a couple of years until they get a hang of what this new fangled thing is. And in the 
meantime, we can just, you know, seize many assets and then build from there. Yeah. And they certainly did. Yes. And this is definitely how also the resentment um, got started. And uh, unfortunately, the, the, the resentment for the general public is not necessarily a very nuanced thing, you know? No. <laughs> what, what am I exactly so angry about? It's like a general being angry and just seeing like, well, this didn't work. And weirdly enough, this is something I never quite understood, but I've seen it play out with people in front of me many, many times. We got out of a bad situation. We ended up in another situation that maybe, well, it's definitely a bit better, but it's not wonderful and it's not utopic and it's not ideal. And it needs and it needs a lot of work. <laughs> and definitely some people are in a better position than others. And what most of the people choose as a way to do things is let's go back to the shit that we had before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not, okay, so this is bad. How can we fix this? What's the solution for that? No, you lied to us. You told us that it will be all like, you know, honey and uh, dogs with bagels on their tail. I don't know if this this translates as well from Romanian to other people, but this is a Romanian saying. <laughs> you know, so, okay, where are the bagels on my dog's tail? They're not. Where are my bagel at? Where are my bagel at, you know? So, so it's not, it's not that, it's not perfect, then fuck it. I want to go back to communism and dictatorship. Fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> what the sad thing is that it's not even that, okay, I want to go back to the template of, you know, what the communist system was supposed to be and see what didn't work and what was horrible in the previous system and undo that and then try again. No, like, no. no they're just like, I don't know, give me zombie choices. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and clearly on top of that resentment, um, having the financial crisis and having the IMF and having all of that being, you know, coming and telling you that, you know, you're not doing enough and you're not suffering enough. It can only make you want to like stab someone in the eye yeah yeah burn it to the ground and <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually now that you mentioned the IMF <laughs> yeah I, I, I wanted to address another thing I heard and I think there's something to, to that argument about western chauvinism that says something like well it's just something wrong with you obviously either with you as a general population or with your leadership either way but then again you elect your leadership so ultimately mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's true that even though we wanted or we retroactively expected our leaders to to find a good way to implement uh, these reforms and to adapt things to to local conditions it's true that uh, there are some restrictions you don't just get free reign to do what you want uh, whether that's like the conditions for getting an IMF loan yeah or pressures from outside yeah that, that that's a thing that's true but again <laughs> it's not like our people tried no 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 no. this is a problem this is a problem in terms of we should be directing our anger in many places <laughs> proportional to to what uh power the different people different actors have i think yeah absolutely absolutely uh, only it's uh, uh it's not about what we think <laughs> um it's about um what uh, people with political ambition what emotions they manage to create and what emotions they manage to best sell to the majority of the voting public. And what uh, they managed to sell uh, was resentment because it's, oh, yes. because it's easier. 
So a, a good part of the book, it's about, you know, the fact that some some people from the East and from the West have been quite naive and weirdly hopeful and how the people in the West behaved as if the world suddenly began in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and others, uh, just as weird, saw that the world ended, not, not in the sense, in the best sense, but in the sense that mm-hmm. we have arrived to the how it will always be, but in a very childish way, and somehow presume that by virtue of magic, you know, <laughs> everything will uh, will uh, will be fixed. So, but do do the authors actually say that this is due to naivete? No, 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 no. They don't. They don't say that. Uh, at least not. Uh, not about the political leaders, but definitely about some of the, let's say, talking heads, uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the philosophers and, you know, I don't know, the Jorogans of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, because otherwise, you know, otherwise it just sounds like the whole Kissinger discourse about the United States, that is this pure-hearted child, the sweet summer child <laughs> that wants to do good. And if, you know, if they screw up, it's just like they just stumble into a mess and oops and I we really had no ill intention or ill will towards anyone it's just we were tricked <laughs> yeah no no and no. also we never read a history book somehow yeah. no no it's um it's not it's not presented as uh you know like uh, everybody was naive or nobody read a history book no uh it's uh, you know for different people were different reasons and um, also it was a lot of somehow pretending it was a lot of pretending because people on the West pretended that they didn't know some things and people in the East pretended. They they give in the, in the book the example of a Romanian movie that actually I don't remember the name of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a horrible person <laughs> Okay. Uh, but um, um, anyway, the main uh, story of the, of the movie is somehow an example of how things were happening in, um, in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Because um, the story is about a girl who is actually a good student and um, has good grades and her, uh, this, this exam for the, when you finish high school and that has to do a lot with how you'll get into your university this exam is coming up uh, but uh, she gets assaulted on the street and she is in a very bad mental state and her parents realize that she won't be able to perform at uh, her general very good level and they want assault is a plot device yeah yeah of course okay. yeah um, and um, they 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 want to you know pretty much just bribe their their daughter's way into uh, having a good grade and going to a good university and uh, you know, uh, improving her chances of actually leaving Romania. And um, the the whole thing, it's, you know, it's emblematic in the way that the parents uh, explain to the child, you know, these ideas of honesty and hard work and how in order to achieve the, the these ideas that they're, they're very good, but not right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, we're going to get what we want so that you can go ahead and have these things that are very good and this is what you should want and this is what you should do, but not right now. Because the daughter, <laughs> the, the daughter as I understand, I haven't seen the movie, is opposed to this because she mm-hmm. she realizes you know the the contradiction, uh, but the parents are like uh, well yes uh, you know, all these ideals from the West they're, they're they're very nice but we all know that things don't work like that in our country and I think this is exactly how things were like we were uh, we we all liked the clean streets that we saw I don't know in Germany but we were mm-hmm. like yeah but in our countries they're not clean by virtue of just not being clean <laughs> not, <laughs> not, they not, magically are not clean they are 
magically not clean and there by virtue of crossing the border into Germany they become clean and you know <laughs> what can we do about it we have no idea and this is one of the things that as a Eastern European people kept asking themselves how come when Romanians go abroad move to Germany to United States they are some of the best performing people in that system model citizens sometimes even. Model, model citizens sometimes but the exact same people come back in Romania and they are shit I mean <laughs> you know yeah. uh, the, the fact that we uh, we are very good at adapting to a system if it's already in place but we are not good at all uh, putting it into place mm-hmm. and and and, and I, this this is not from the book this is from you know my uh, very small political um, involvement people in Romania at least talk about political parties and the existence of all the agencies of the state as being separate from the existence of the population. Yes, definitely. That somehow a party can exist before people join it. <laughs> and they want... Politics is a bit like God. Like it exists in a realm of its own. And the people who inhabit it, they are like yes. little aliens that sometimes come <laughs> and visit you and wave. And I don't know, they, they probe your cavities with stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's the... <laughs> but other, in... other than that, there's no contact. And uh, I've noticed that time and time again, when I was, um, you know, the member of a political party and I was trying to get the people in my village to join the party. And I was like, it's a very new party. Uh, it can be whatever we make it. And especially, uh, you know, the the, the, the branch that, that we have here. Because uh, what was true about the party was that we didn't have things being imposed upon local branches from up top. So, mm-hmm. and this was, you know, one of the biggest villages in Romania because we have about 55,000 people and we had less than 20 members. And none, none, of, none of the parties had more than 50 members. And And people were like, yes, but I will join it when the party will be like that and like that and like that. It will become if we you come and somebody comes and do something. It might sound also very simplistic, but I think people only want to join something that it's cool and ready-made. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to brag about being a member there, and that will be my whole contribution. I'm a member and I'm bragging about it. Yes, I will not click subscribe on this YouTube mm-hmm. channel that has fewer than yes. I don't know one k yes. subscribers. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes. That that kind of that that kind of thing. People also in Poland and in Hungary and everywhere, actually, in the East, former Eastern Communist bloc. During uh, the communist years, of course, there were a lot of intellectuals that were doing, you know, the intellectual hard work of putting forth arguments about what's bad and what should change and everything. But mostly, if you asked people, what do you want? They said they wanted a normal life without mm-hmm. actually thinking what that entails and what that is. And a yeah. lot of people thought a normal life is that if we just get rid of the existing dictatorship somehow things will be like in the West but we didn't know how things were in the West most of us have never been so we just had this this idea and maybe each and every one of us had a different idea of what that was but we all thought that it will be like like like, like in our heads whatever problems we were having they will just be gone you know I, I think this is one of the reasons why one of the former presidents <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the guy from your city, yeah. from your hometown, Traian Basescu, uh, he was so successful uh, during his first campaign mm-hmm. because his slogan was, may you live well, whatever that means for you. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, that and also the fact that he did one thing that was, well, it was very, you know, hypocritical and it was very self-serving, but it sold really well because as you said about capitalism, our secret recipe, all the people that ended up in power after 1999 in Romania, and actually this happened all over the former communist bloc, were people that actually were part of the nomenclatura. Yeah, but they all played it like, no, 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 no. Why? Why do you even say that about me? Like, that is, oh, I, I, I'm so offended. And don't hurt my feelings. Yeah, 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 you're hurting my feelings. And what Traian Bosescu did in his uh, debate with uh, Adriana Stase, that was his main competitor for presidency at the moment, is that he told uh, Adriana Stase to his face, we both used to be working for Securitate and isn't it uh, sad for the peoples of Romania that they have to choose between two people like us? And that sold. That, that sold. <laughs> that was like, people were like, yeah, give me that. <laughs> it's weird because even if you basically admit to being an asshole, it's just so cathartic <laughs> that people are like, yes, I will vote for this man. <laughs> this seems like a <laughs> yeah. honest yeah, man. Yeah, and uh, what, the, what the book says about um, a lot about uh, Eastern Europe is that this, this revolution of we want a normal life was not very well strategized. And the moment the, that the, the barrier for the normal life that was uh, imposed in way of dictatorship disappeared, people didn't have a plan. And uh, the mm-hmm. West, even if they offered a model, but they weren't hands-on in seeing that the privatization and all those things happen in a not uh, grifty kind of way. I mean, I, I think maybe uh, the fact that the, 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 the model was coming undone in Western countries as well might have had yes. might have played a role because the industrialization and asset stripping and privatization of formerly public services and yes. things like that were also happening. Yes, yes. The 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 fact that uh, 1999 happened after uh, Reagan era and Thatcher era happened mm-hmm. probably was not the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but but uh, somehow that part, as I said, that part of the book for me was not necessarily the most interesting part because mm-hmm. it was mostly something that felt very familiar. I've read it. I've known it. Yes, yes. This, that, that is how we felt. That is what happened. Yeah, I know this shit. <laughs> What I thought it was um, interesting for me uh, was the part about Russia and the part about America. In the part about Russia, they um, they talk about how um, Putin uh, ended up in power and how he uh, held on to power in you know using different tactics uh, throughout his uh, mm-hmm. I would say presidency, but he was also prime minister for uh... <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before I talk about Putin, what I liked uh, was that th- this idea that that, that Putin. Russia, from the beginning, they never tried in honesty to assimilate the West's ideals. It was mimicry from the beginning, you know, they just pretended, okay, you guys are talking these things about democracy and liberalism and free market and whatnot. And we are like, we were saying yes, because we don't want you to look too closely at what we're doing. And also because they were weak for a few years. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, so they, they didn't necessarily try to import a political model from from the West. You talked about how uh, generally people resent being told what to do 
I think it's doubly more so for someone who was uh, powerful and influential mm -hmm. for decades to then have to yield or at least pretend yeah. to do so to their rival, no less. So this uh, this period of uh, of time in the Russian history in which Putin was still pretending to to play democracy, this was the the part that I thought very illuminating. Putin from the beginning, once he managed to end up in power, he, he, he made sure he didn't lose the next elections, even if they held elections. And even if he was very popular at the moment, and if uh, he, he would have won, uh, even if uh, mm -hmm. the elections would have been completely fair and nobody, you know, in intervened. So, so the question was like, why do it? Because people knew he was somehow doing it, but at the same time, they also knew that he would win. What they say is that Putin used the idea of simulating democracy just so that he can prove to people his power, you know? I can win or I can fake it, but either way, I'm the most powerful <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the game. Mm -hmm. Mostly he, he, he organized elections to persuade the Russian citizens that were no viable alternatives to the current, you know, wielders of state power. Mm -hmm. And uh, this happened uh, also because the more power Putin gained, the more the people who could actually put, you know, threaten him in some way were, you know, uh, made disappear. Uh, <laughs> The, the existence of the opposition, as long as they weren't very good, was actually uh, a way of presenting to the to the public this idea of doom. It's us or it's those shitheads, and we're mm -hmm. and we're bad, but we're strong, and they are bad and weak. So you can choose between bad and strong or bad and weak. And look, you even voted for it. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, and uh, they they created this 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 feeling, and they used elections. To, to create this feeling of doom. And uh, the reason this was so uh, so interesting to me, maybe to other people that know more about it would just be like, yeah, you're just seeing this now. But yeah, I just saw it now because um, when I was reading this book, there were the um, elections in Hungary. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we all, all know that in Hungary, uh, for these elections and uh, the elections before, Orban really was the most, to likely candidate to win. But we also yes. know that he tampered with the election result. This time around, I'm not even sure if there were so many discussions, but last time around, there were, definitely were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Hungarian people I talked to on Facebook, they kept saying the same thing. We know the problems with Orban, but have you seen the opposition? The devil you know. <laughs> yes, and I realized it was the same doom feeling, you know, like, well, yes, we're voting for Orban because, like, what's the other choice? And I realized that Hungary is somewhere in the middle of the road to becoming Russia. You know, this also reminds me of a thing that I remember hearing when, I know voting is not the end-all be-all of political action, by no means, but I still go to vote and I urge mm -hmm. people to do so, even if, um, I tell them, you know, even if you really just don't have any candidate that you can support in good conscience. Uh, you can just go and have a vote of protest in the sense that take a pen and write what's on your mind. It will be annulled, but uh, the point is that they can see that there are people who would be engaged politically, so there's an electorate there because you actually went out and voted, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you don't have uh, anyone who's fulfilling your, your needs. So uh, what I heard many a time was, well, I voted 
voted for these bastards, uh, although I complained for the past four or five years about them. And I voted for them because, well, if we get new guys, they will just be hungrier and they will steal even more. Oh, oh, oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so uh, this, this is really interesting in terms of, I don't know, political savvy, I guess, for mm -hmm. someone who is in power, because you are basically deflecting first and foremost any blame mm -hmm. from you because people are just like yeah yeah he's a bastard but they don't have any requirements of you mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. because you're just there as a stopgap between whatever circus yeah. is the opposition supposed to be mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so it's it's so incredibly corrosive for the social fabric and for the engagement of the citizenry mm -hmm. and um, going back to Putin <laughs> and, uh, and 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 <laughs> oh, must we <laughs> yeah well the, the authors used uh, countries in Eastern Europe, like Hungary and Poland, as um, the model of imitation that they tried to um, copy everything, you know, copy the ideals, the, the political system, the economical system, you know, like just take the, the whole shebang. Whereas Russia uh, only uh, made, you know, a, an obvious, just a mimicry attempt, you know, uh, being like, yeah, we're saying like you're saying. They did a faint like in Kiev. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and in the end, the way it happened with the imitation thing in Russia, uh, the the chapter about Russia is titled "Imitation as Retaliation," and mm -hmm. uh, it it talks about how Putin's rhetoric became more and more explosive, um, and and he became to talk more and more about the countries in the West that somehow talked about you know international human rights, uh, and how the West is you know being very conceited when it's trying to to impose this idea uh, that uh, somehow it's the duty of all mankind to strive for, you know, liberal uh, democracy. But uh, actually, this is some some, some kind of, an, uh, you know, offensive, aggressive move uh, that the Americans used to justify interfering in the internal affairs of other countries by invoking the, you know, worldwide desirability and imitability of their own political and economical system. So while lecturing the world about human rights and democracy and, you know, other lofty values and ideals, the Western leaders, uh, and Putin mostly means USA, uh, were all the while pursuing their own countries countries, you know, selfish geopolitical interests. And um, such a shameless uh, resort to double standard became one of uh, one of the Putin's obsessions. That, so, mm -hmm. so he became obsessed with, with the fact that the West has these values and actually they use this idea of values that somehow people like, but uh, that they're not serious about it. This is just what they use in order to invade and do, you know, their imperialism. So this obsession that, that, that Putin developed was only matched by his resistance resentment, uh, the lack of respect, which he believed Russia uh, is entitled to from the West. Russia, and by Russia, he means himself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. yes. Yeah, yes, yes. So this is the thing with, with Putin, who, who became somehow very uh, entangled with, with, with this idea of uh, nobody's really serious about this human rights thing. Like, he genuinely doesn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And um, this was very interesting when it met with Donald Trump. <laughs> it certainly was a combo. <laughs> Centrally was a match made in heaven. 
when Harry met Sally, when Putin met Donald, <laughs> when uh, when Putin met uh, met Donald Trump, actually two people who were as cynical as the other yes, one. Yes, yes, were mm-hmm. as cynical as the other one. They both genuinely did not believe that other people honestly believe in this idea of you know human rights and values and democracy uh, because. Of course, I'm sure there have been other presidents of the United States that weren't necessarily the best uh, fans of democracy, but mm-hmm. you could never say it out loud. And not only say it out loud, but you couldn't really, like, even, you know, if you go back to, 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 the, to, to the people who made America and, you know, they were keeping slaves or talking about, uh, you know, uh, democracy and all of that, uh, besides their, you know, obvious hypocrisy, you mm-hmm. can see that they wanted, somehow they would have liked themselves to be the men they thought they were, you know? Yeah. But but with, with Donald Trump and, and, and with Putin, they are shit and they are proud of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think that they envision themselves as being shit. It's just that their, their self-image and their image of how the world works is so <laughs> incredibly brutal in the sense that... Yes. I'm the one with, the, I don't know, bigger stick, and this is how things work. So it's just like stripped of any sort of decor de- or any sort of yes, pretense yes. of, well, it's about ideals, it's about whatever. People, you know, let's say important political figures in the United States who uh, had slaves but somehow still talked about, you know, end of slavery, they came up with, uh, you know, excuses for themselves. But they, but they genuinely wanted the idea to, 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 to catch, you know, to, to, to take root in the population, mm-hmm. even if not necessarily for themselves at that, that time. We want the good things, but not now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but, but clearly, Donald Trump and Putin, they both thought they were extremely smart and that they saw how the world really was. And they really wanted respect, both of them quite narcissistic. And um, what, uh, what I liked about um, what the, the authors of the book say about Trump is that a lot of people somehow thought that because Trump was so anti-intellectual to, you know, to the point of illiteracy <laughs> and uh, because he was so erratic in everything he says, that he could not have any sort of coherent project um, and that um, since he couldn't have no coherent project, uh, he didn't need to, to, to be theorized or opposed as if, as if he was proposing a coherent project. But uh, what they say is that a worldview can be intuitive rather than ideological and philosophical, and a strategy can be instinctive rather than clear-headed and thought through. But nonetheless, it is a strategy. And, you know... Uh, And let's be clear, let's be honest, that maybe his uh, message or his way of doing politics wouldn't have nearly been as successful if there wouldn't have been decades, as we said, of intellectual Mm -hmm. laziness and of political laziness from previous uh, parties. And What the authors say is that Donald Trump has been saying what he's been saying for a long time. They they give examples of him speaking in different, uh, you know, uh, contexts, uh, TV shows and whatnot. And he kept saying the same things, only it, they they only caught on when, you know, the time was right. We joked about the one of the titles of the book uh, sounding like an action movie. The Reckoning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know how uh, in the 20s and 30s, uh, like the emerging fascists, one of the things that they were holding up was an ideal was the man of action and mm-hmm. it dawned on me that of course after a period in which at least for the general public it seems like there's a stagnation nothing is moving or at least it's not moving in the right direction in the sense that it's not mm-hmm. guided in any 
way. There's no plan. It's just maybe decaying. So then, mm-hmm. of course, by all means, even if you get a dum-dum who's, who cannot string two words together, but seems like, look, I have actionable items and I am up to the task, it has a very strong appeal. Yeah, and uh, as, uh, as the authors say, even if he was a dum-dum, he had an intuitive sense about yeah. what people wanted to hear. And um, what, what, what they talk about, what was interesting about Trump was that uh, Trump agreed with Putin and Orban, you know, about rejecting America's traditional self-image as an exemplary nation. He even said so, that do you think our yes, country yes. is totally innocent or something yes. to that? Yes, yeah, yes, yes, effect. yes. Yeah, like he, he said, like, you, do you think we don't kill people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So what Trump did that, that no other president before him did was uh, come and say, you know, this idea of uh, America's exceptionalism is uh, is stupid, is bad, and uh, it's not right to, to, to try and tell other countries that, you know, we are exceptional. And when Putin says that, you know, it's bad of us, a bad form of us to do this, we have to agree because he is right. Like, this is something no other uh, politician ever did before. Looking at the uh, president mm-hmm. of Russia and being like, yeah, we should listen to this guy. He has uh, good points about us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what Trump did uh, represented more than just a moment. It was a switch in the way that America saw and defined it itself and um, its historical role and political role in the world. At the same time, you know, uh, Trump's slogan was America first, but uh, Trump's boasting about putting America first was not inconsistent with his repudiation of American exceptionalism because uh, America first for him meant caring nothing for the welfare of the people in America or the people of other countries and only angling to get your own and best the other countries in international trade negotiations. The sad conclusion is that both liberals and all the illiberal leaders of the world basically are trying to find ways of twisting their logic and find excuses for being lazy, for not doing things that the people actually want them to do. Pretty much. So um, Trump not only opposes, well, opposed all uh, proselytizing for democracy and human rights, but he uh, consistently disregarded the boundary between countries that respect and countries that violate human rights mm-hmm. and democratic norms. Like, he, he pretended that, you know, it's they're pretty much sort of the same. And uh, he insisted that America has no mission and is nobody's model. And uh, human history has no end in the sense of moral purpose or goal. And um, in order to somehow be consistent, <laughs> weirdly, he uh, dropped out of a lot of international agreements, um, you know, uh, his spending in NATO mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and so on. Yeah. Uh, Trump wanted the rest of the world to know that America not only was and is, but only so also saw itself as being just as unprincipled as any <laughs> other country. And basically, this was the difference, because up until Trump, people were like, yeah, but America, you know, talks this big talk, but when you look at what they do, you know, mm-hmm. things don't add up. And uh, other presidents like Clinton and, and Obama, with all their faults, they said, yeah, yeah okay, that's true, but we will, we will strive to be better. We will strive to be, uh, you know, this ideal that we put in out in the world. And Trump came and was like, yeah, no, we won't. We we suck and it's fine. I think the best way to sort of uh, say this is that even if the people who are holding up the, the ideals are not living up to them, mm-hmm. uh, the alternative should never be cynicism. Yes. Because yes. that's just killing everyone. Exactly. This was also somehow impactful for me because, uh, of course, um, we are living this moment of the Ru- 
Russian war against Ukraine and the fact that we're seeing a lot of people that, you know, somehow we had we had expectations, good expectations of uh, people on the left who just panic. Yes, but uh, what if uh, America and uh, Western Europe, you know, really put their, you know, power into it and manage to throw back Russia and of course Russia will will not necessarily conquer Ukraine, but it will still be somewhat important. But by by managing to, 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 to somehow defeating Russia, Poland will become, will, will rise up as a power because it was very involved in, in this thing. And it, it, it will be a new pole of power. And, you the know... The Poles will be a new pole of power. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, somehow Hungary will get over the fact that right now wants to be buddy-buddy with Russia. And they will just be like, oh, okay, so you are also illiberal and anti-democratic and anti-human rights like us, so we'll be friends, and there will be this new pole of anti-democratic liberal power in Eastern Europe. And instead of being like, okay, let's see how we can offer things that, that are good and that are more attractive that than this idea. sounds like a lot of work again, Irina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what... What 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 a lot of these people on 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 the left that that that's what you know makes me makes my head explode. It's like well since since we know that would be a lot of work and won't happen, maybe we should just let Russia win so that Poland and Hungary wouldn't become these great poles of power. And I'm like, which is a scenario only in their little heads. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know necessarily, but like, is that the solution? No, mm-hmm. that will only create more and more shit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I think we can we can uh, we can end this discussion with with the fact that I'm sorry, but doing more work and being more creative and coming up with more solutions and never giving up on ideals is the more acceptable option always. Yeah. Exactly. And fuck real politic. <laughs> yes. Morals and ideals matter, and in the end, you know, have have quite a, a strong uh, impact on uh, what actually happens in real life. So do we do the outro thing now? Yes. <laughs> do you want to do it <laughs> for change? No, 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 because I'm not prepared, so I don't know what to say. You did. <laughs> I'm not prepared either. That's why I was trying to pass <laughs> the responsibility. Anyway, uh, if you enjoyed this uh, adorable um, awkwardness, <laughs> then please, please share, like, follow, subscribe, do the whole thing, uh, rate us. And uh, yeah, see you next time. See you Bye. next time. Bye. Bye.